Hello to everybody tuning in. Gentlemen, great to see you and anybody else who's jumping on. Glad you're here. Glad you're watching. I hope you're going to be blessed by today as we jump into the concept of manhood, biblical manhood, as it pertains to being responsible, having responsibility, taking responsibility and what that looks like. Let's uh, turn first to Genesis chapter 3. While you're going there, I trust that you have your Bibles with you. I also trust that you have... uh, been including uh, the, the men in your life in this. If you're a father, I pray that you'll be sharing these with your sons. If you're a uh, brother, I pray that you'll be sharing these with your brothers, sending them to your father. I want to bless the, the whole family as we at church are a church of families. In Genesis chapter 3, we see a great deal of significance in the passage uh, here as it pertains to man's responsibility, particularly of Adam. Now, we've been looking back towards Adam Uh, as our covenant head uh, in Adam. In Reformed theology, we do make the distinction that we are either in Adam or in Christ. We are all in Adam by birth, and in him we receive death, and we come into be in Christ through faith, and in him we receive life. However, we can now look back to uh, Adam, our father according to the flesh, and see in him uh, patterns and commandments and uh, commissions that apply to all men. Uh, the reality is that not even Adam is in Adam spiritually. Even Adam, by placing his faith in the gospel uh, as it was preached to him, was transferred into Christ. He's now in heaven, redeemed, saved, forgiven. But we can look back to Adam and see, as God gave to him as the father of all mankind that would come, he gave him commissions and promises and commands. And even today, we see the rebuke that comes to Adam. And we see this happening after the fall. So Genesis 3 uh, gives to us the story of Adam and Eve being fooled, deceived by the serpent. Adam uh, allowed his wife to be fooled. He stood by, didn't step in, defend, teach her, back off serpent, get out of here. This is not your garden. You're speaking lies. You didn't do that. uh, Deception came upon Eve. She gave him the fruit. He also sinned along with her. And then God turns up. We're going to read from verse 8. Genesis 3, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called out to the man. And he said to him, Where are you? And he said, This is Adam speaking now. I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? God knew that the shame of nakedness was related to the shame of guilt, that guilt which would only come through sin. The only commandment that Adam was given was not to uh, eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God, in knowing, in seeing that Adam knows his own nakedness, God knows that this means he has sinned. And upon that accusation, Adam then says, verse 12, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Right? This is your fault, God. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And then God speaks to the serpent. And there we have the 
the cursing that comes upon the serpent, upon the woman, and upon the man Adam, and the promise of redemption through the seed that would come and crush the serpent's head. Gentlemen, I pray that you've been blessed by all the things we've been covering so far. We've got many topics to go, and uh, if you have anything you want covered, you can feel free to just uh, send an email through to church, send a message to me, grab me on a Sunday, say something to Vic, um, and I'll, I'll see what I can do to include it here. Uh, but today, uh, one of the, the biggest topics that we see in Scripture, in speaking of men, is that we are <clears throat> to take responsibility. That is that we are to be responsible for whatever it is God has called us to be responsible for. What we see take place here in the garden is the, is, is, uh, uh, the first type of responsibility we take, which is responsibility for failure. Responsibility for failure. <clears throat> when God came into the garden, we know, as Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 2, it chiefly was Adam's sin, even though it was Eve that took of the fruit. She was deceived, she took the fruit, but it was Adam's sin because he was made Lord over the garden. He was made the man, the husband, the leader, the authoritative, the king, the Lord in the garden. He was supposed to take all into his dominion, including loving, serving, teaching, caring for, and ruling his wife. He failed in this. He listened to her instead of teaching her. He allowed her to be deceived instead of uh, giving her knowledge. Instead of rebuking the serpent, he allowed him to come in and ravage his family. And therefore, it is ultimately Adam's sin. And so that is why when God turns up, in his omniscience, he knows all things. He knows where Adam and Eve are hiding over there behind the banana tree. Idiots. He knows that they're there. But he's asking. He's not, he's not asking to fill his knowledge. He's asking to test the man. God says, Adam, where are you? Will he show himself? Will Adam come out, be the man, come and stand before God, his judge, and say what he has done, take responsibility for what has happened in his garden, in his family? We see what Adam does. He does crawl out ashamedly and he says, he doesn't even uh, confess what was uh, the problem at first. He simply says, I hid. Oh, I was just over there hiding naked. And it's at that point that God has to press. God has to ask more questions because Adam is not coming out with his confession freely. He says, uh, and on uh, it, his version of confession is blaming the woman. You see what happens here? God says, where are you? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Adam, I didn't give that command to Eve. You were to give that command to Eve. I commanded you not to eat of the tree. And there's Adam's shameful response where he blames both God and his wife. He says, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then God turns to the woman and then ultimately to the devil and lays out his curses. But here we see in God's actions and Adam's reactions, we see this dynamic at play. In God's mind, when there is failure, he goes to the men. When there is failure, he goes to the leaders. When there is failure, he goes to the authoritative people in place. When there is failure, he goes to those who are ultimately responsible to hold them responsible. And so it is, when there is failure in a family, failure in a marriage, failure in a church, God goes to the male leaders who are the headship in place, who God has ordained for that role. 
They don't just get authority and power and glory and fame without the weight of responsibility. And so here it is. He was asked, where were you? What did you do? Why did you lead your wife in this way? The question in the background is, and of course, in every passage that speaks of the fall, the blame is put squarely on Adam. He was responsible. <clears throat> now, what we need to see is, I'll just, uh, word of application before we move on. Uh, we are so prone as, as uh, young men or as those who really act like children, as boys, uh, we were so prone to uh, shirk responsibility to not come openly in confession, in responsibility for our faults and other people's faults. Uh, we want to do things such as blame our, our heritage, blame maybe our, our, uh, our ancestors, blame our trauma in our past, blame our family. I didn't have a father or my mother raised me this way or I just didn't have a good upbringing and whatever it is, everybody always has a million excuses not to do the right thing and do what God has commanded. Every single one of us has a million excuses. The people who succeed and who are obedient and who are mature in the word and in the Lord are not those who don't have excuses. It's those who overcame those excuses for the glory of Jesus. We have to see that. Uh, it is to the degree to which you make excuses, young men, whether you're 12 or 20 or 40, you're, you're biblically a young man, Made some of the 40-year-olds very happy. Uh, to the degree to which you make excuses is the degree to which you remove yourself from being a man. The, is the degree to which you remove reward for yourself in the future. Because it's only once you take on responsibility that you can reap in the harvest of those responsibilities. <clears throat> so, uh, we need to make a difference here though, of course, between, um, uh, between fault and cause and responsibility and solution. Uh, saying something is your responsibility is not the same thing as saying you caused it or it's your fault. So we'll, we'll take Adam and Eve for example. Uh, the snake coming into the garden was not Adam's fault. The Eve being uh, the Eve, Eve being deceived was not Adam's fault. He was not deceiving her. The snake tempting with the fruit was not Adam's fault. He was not causing these things to happen, but they were his responsibility. Something doesn't have to be your fault to be your responsibility. And this is how children, young boys think who aren't yet men. They will say, and maybe some of you will say, uh, I didn't do that. I didn't start that. I didn't cause that. It's not my responsibility. It's not true. When God calls us up to lead, to protect, to provide, to fight, to teach, to lord, all of these things, he's giving us responsibility that we have to take even when things aren't our fault. Yes, Adam, it wasn't your fault, but you should have stepped in because it was your garden, your family, your wife, your responsibility. That's the distinction we'll make today. It's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. You didn't cause it, but you need to solve it. That's the calling of God on us. Let's do away with all such things as... Um, as uh, uh, as saying, this is unfair. I don't want to do that. Rather, let's stand as men and say, my bad, I'm on it. I'll solve it with the help of the Lord God. So that's number one. We are responsible for failure, for failures. But one of them look here at, at, at another dynamic, which itself will be broken into two. And this is that we are responsible or we're to take responsibility, not just for failure, but also 
in preparation for fruit. We're to take responsibility in order to produce fruit. I'm going to explain this a little bit more. Uh, Proverbs 13 verse 4. You can go there with me. It's just a single verse, but it's, it's a killer. It's good. Proverbs 13 verse 4. Uh, and you need to remember that the book of Proverbs was written to young men. Uh, sons written from father and mother about wisdom, instruction, advice in life. Well, Proverbs 13 verse 4 says, The soul of the sluggard, that is the lazy one, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. The soul soul of the sluggard, that is the, the lazy man, he craves. It is always the habit of those who don't work, who don't step up into responsibility to want, to desire. Part of that would be they don't know what things cost. They're always wanting more because they don't know that those shoes uh, take the sweat of your brow three weeks at work to earn them. Uh, They want that holiday, uh, that shirt. They want that car. They want that house. They're always wanting because they don't see price tags on things as weeks of work, as hours of labor. They just desire. They just see things and want them because maybe they've always gotten things for free. They've never been made to work yet. Well, this is the, the lot of the lazy man. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. Because wanting something changes nothing. You have to get up, you have to put your clothes on, to get out of bed, leave your room, go to work, work hard uh, in whatever uh, capacity God has you working. You do that, you receive uh, an income, and and of course this can be allegorized or be very specific to your actual work. And then with an income, you can attain what you need. The soul of the righteous, sorry, of the diligent is richly supplied. He who is diligent, he who takes responsibility, works hard, is richly supplied. Well, Proverbs 13.4 speaks to us in many different ways. I want to show you first that responsibility is connected to work. Responsibility is connected to work. And irresponsibility is connected to laziness. Irresponsibility is Uh, connected to laziness because obviously you you know this if if you're going to take responsibility for things it's going to take work if you're going to take responsibility as coach on a team that's going to take work as leader in the workplace that's going to take more work as uh, as pastor over a church that's going to take more work than the average Christian as uh, as a husband not just not just a bloke that is single forever that's going to take more work so taking responsibility requires work It's not a punishment that's good for us. But so it is that we can see that the lazy man is the one who has not taken responsibility. He's not working for anything. It's because nobody needs him to work. No one's relying on him. He hasn't taken responsibility for anything. Nothing rests on him. So, responsibility is connected to work. I'm going to split it further into into two here. We need to have responsibility for ourselves and responsibility for others. So let's speak now of taking responsibility for ourselves. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 3, 4, and 5. The ESV reads like this. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Isn't that just an echo of Proverbs 13, 4? 
you think yourself a lot because you make lots of hypothetical plans and potentials and future dreams. You want all these things. You speak about yourself as one who might have these things one day, but in reality, you deceive yourself. You have nothing because you're lazy and not responsible. For if anyone thinks he is something when he's actually nothing, he's deceiving himself. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Now this isn't works righteousness here. This is not an ability to boast in front of Jesus, in front of the Lord, and declare that we're righteous on our own labor. What he's meaning is that when it comes to working in the church, New Testament, Christians who have a life to live, families to lead, and churches to plant, we are to be workers as men. We are to be workers so that our words match our works. When we speak very highly of ourselves, Paul says, well, in fact, why don't you just put your money where your mouth is, put the hand to the plow, and then your, your speech of your achievements will be well-placed. All humble, all to the glory of God, but they'll be well-placed instead of uh, misplaced, instead of deceiving yourself. Even then goes so far in verse 5 as to say, for each one will have to bear his own load. In other words, take responsibility for yourself. Each one of us, this word load here in the Greek is referring to a personal load, something like a backpack or a, a bag uh, that maybe a soldier might carry through uh, the marches or, or that you might you know, take uh, to the sporting field with all your gear inside. This is a personal load. It is so irresponsible to not take responsibility for yourself because that means that somebody else has to carry your bag. You're just unwilling. You're not going to wake yourself up. You're going to need somebody else to set an alarm for you. You're not going to get your job. You'll rely on other people to pay for you. You're not going to get a license. You'll rely on other people to drive you. right? You're not going to keep watch on yourself. You're going to rely on other people keeping up with you in your Christian walk and in your maturity. You're not going to be diligent over your own uh, 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 stoppage and cancelling of pornography. No, you're going to make sure that other people are catching up with you and, and even bringing them into the realm of sin. No, no, friends, we need to realize that so much of our own life is our own load to bear. We complain, we try and fish and hook other people into our problems because we just don't bear our own load. It is a load. It is harder than if you were not bearing one, but don't deceive yourself. Put it on, start marching and, and gain some ground. Another example, some men won't lead or teach or pray for or support and encourage their own wife. They need other, everyone else to do that for them. They need the women's ministry to do that. Everyone else is carrying their own load, th sorry, is carrying their load that they're supposed to carry. They're making everyone else carry. That's not on. It's not manly. It's not godly. It's not Christian. So let's keep looking. You need to bear your own load. Take responsibility for yourself. Uh, which saves other people from working harder because you're not picking up. Okay, you can imagine a rowing team. If one team member just says, everyone else is going pretty good, I can relax. They're not bearing their own load. Everyone else has to work harder. That's not godly. That's not Christian. But also, as you bear your own load, as you carry your own backpack through the march, you are learning responsibility. You are teaching yourself character. Going back to Proverbs 13, 4, you are securing for yourself, uh, you're, you're teaching yourself diligence. You're teach, as you take on responsibility and get to work to carry your own load, 
You are teaching yourself diligence. And then as another flow and effect of that, the diligent man, his soul is well supplied. So when you take responsibility, you bear your own load according to Galatians 6 verse 5. You teach yourself diligence, you save other people from having to carry it for you, and you bring a great reward and reaping of a harvest for yourself. These are the promises of the Lord. Back to Galatians 6. We also need to not just take responsibility for ourselves, but we also take responsibility for others. They might think, You were just saying if we take responsibility for ourselves, other people don't have to take responsibility for us. No, that's true. But the reality is that other people, not you, don't don't give yourself an excuse here, but other people will fall, will fail, will slack off, will need encouragement. And that is when you, while you are bearing your own load by the grace and the power of Jesus Christ in His Spirit, While you are bearing your own load, you can then look around in your diligence and you can help your brothers bear a burden. So let's read Galatians 6 verse 2. 6 verse 2. Sorry, verse... uh, uh, Yeah, no, just verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So this is just the, the mirror image of what we were looking at before. This word for burdens is not the same word for load. We were told, bear your own load, be a man, get up, stop complaining. But then we're told, look around and bear one another's burdens. This word uh, does not mean a personal load. It means a large, heavy load that takes more men to carry. So in other words, you carry your own bag, but you're not going to try and fight a whole battalion on your own. Get your men around you for that. You're going to tell the lazy guy in the squadron, get up, carry your own pack. We're not going to keep on carrying it for you. But if he's out in a field fighting an entire battalion himself, you're going to rush to his side to help him. Right? That's the burden. This is the load. Carry your own load. Help each other with the bigger burdens. And so, instead of asking things like, well, you know, I'm here stepping forward, taking on responsibility, working hard, breaking a sweat, bleeding from the hands. And then these other guys over here, they just get to laze around, not be responsible. How should we think about that? We should not think, lucky them, I, I envy their sin, I want to be like them. We should remember the Word of God. Proverbs 13, verse 4. The soul of the lazy misses out. He's the one not getting the blessing. He craves and he gets nothing. The soul of the diligent, while I'm here in line, marching forward, pack on my back, carrying other people's loads, I, my soul, will be richly supplied by the grace of Jesus Christ. This is what we need to remind ourselves of. We need to uh, take responsibility for others because other people desire, those guys who are lazy, they're not going to have. We we just said this. They're going to desire a wife not be able to get one. They're going to desire uh, godly kids, but they haven't learned to put in the diligence to to, to, uh, raise up godly children. They're going to want money, but not have anywhere to get it. They're going to want a better car, not be able to get it. They're going to look at what you have and envy you, but it's their own laziness that has often got themselves there. So uh, we we, we do take responsibility for others. Uh, This includes your own marriage your own marriage it means that when God comes to your marriage if you're having marriage problems 
and it might be in any single area. Your wife's not growing spiritually. There's disunity. Uh, You're constantly fighting. You're not uh, able to satisfy or look after each other. There's money problems, in-law problems, whatever it is. God comes to this marriage and doesn't pull you aside and say, how about this chick, hey? Isn't Isn't she a load of trouble? Doesn't she complain a whole lot? Don't you deserve better? God doesn't do that. God talks to you as a man, and for you young men, this is what you need to know about marriage and relationships to come. You need to realize God speaks to you and says, where are you? What have you been doing? Why were you not praying? Why were you not disciplining? Why were you not teaching? Why were you not helping her, serving her, encouraging her, telling her how beautiful and amazing she is? Why are you not making more sacrifices for the family? Why are you not being more humble? Why do you just keep on telling her to shush when you need her advice? God comes to us and asks us where we are in our marriage. We are responsible. So we need to take responsibility for failure, take responsibility for ourselves, and take responsibility for our wives. Next, we need to also take responsibility. Some of you guys are younger. You might have girlfriends or fiancés. And the same is at play where there is a a stagnation in that relationship. Let me just say, dating, courting, engagement, these, these steps, they are always supposed to be moving forwards towards marriage. If you're in a relationship and you see no way that this would go towards or even reasonably consider marriage, you need to end that relationship now to be fair to that woman and to be uh, honorable to God. Relationships should always have marriage in view. If you don't think you're mature enough to get married soon, then you're not mature enough to date. And so that being said, where you're in a relationship and you realize that it's stagnating, there's no future here. We've realized we can't get married. We won't, we don't have the same view of a godly family. That's when it is the man's responsibility to end it. It's the man's responsibility to keep things going in a godly direction. It's the man's responsibility to take the conversation to the next step, whether it's positive or negative. But also where there is sin in that relationship, and I need to say this because so many young Christians get into uh, relationships, think they just love each other so much and start sinning sexually before anyone else knows. You think that it's all in secret. God sees it. Most mature Christians know it. If you're in a relationship that is sinning sexually, Men, or I'll call you boys at the moment until you act like men, God is asking, where are you? You are responsible. You are the first one that will step up to the plate to receive discipline. God's eyes are fuming. God has wrath lined up for the young men that do not take his word seriously. If we are stiff-necked and closed ears, we won't listen to his warnings. He will bring his firm hand. You are responsible for the purity in your relationship. Don't tell me she keeps dressing uh, uh, scantily. Don't keep telling me she's tempting you. She's begging for things from you. You take responsibility. Keep your soul and her soul away from the wrath of God. Also with children, right? Many of us are fathers. And we need to realize that we are responsible for the failures of our children. It's not our fault. We didn't cause maybe that sin, that that lash out at school, whatever it is, that runaway, that mistreatment of his mother. We didn't cause that. We need to take responsibility for that. It's not our sin. We didn't say those things. They did. 
but we need to step in and take responsibility. Start bringing it back to water. Start bringing it back to the Lord. Start bringing it back to confession, repentance, the gospel, and righteousness. <clears throat> uh, wherever your family is at, your children, they are our responsibility. There's no one, you might say, well, you know, the woman, my wife, that God gave me, she's the one at home with them all the, de- all the time, and she's the one who's rearing and raising them. I'm, I'm at work five days a week. Friends, it's still your responsibility. Your wife is your responsibility. Your children are your responsibility. They need your presence, your love, your affection, your attention. This is what they need. Therefore, we take, we take glad responsibility of these things. Where there's failure, they need dad. They need me to step in, love them well, encourage them, pray for them, and help them out. This is what children need more than almost anything. <clears throat> it also means that when things are going well, we, we, we get glory for that. We get rewarded. We, we take much joy. The Proverbs will also tell us uh, that the, the, uh, the, the diligent son is an honor to his parents, but the lazy son, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, is a shame to his parents. Right? When you have sons, daughters that raise up, work hard, do well, walk in the will of the Lord, that's a glory to you. And work. Let's think about your employment. You're in the workforce. Things go wrong. It's so easy to find somebody else who, who wasn't here on the roster, blame the fact that there was, you know, they were at home sick, or blame the fact that, you know, this, this job, this task passed through 10 of our hands. Now, why am I getting the blame? The world is filled with people trying to shift blame. Christians need to be the ones to take blame, to take responsibility. Sometimes it won't even be entirely our fault. I'm not saying you put your hand up for criminal activity when you didn't do it, but I mean, lead in the workforce by serving people through taking responsibility. This is what our men out there uh, need to be doing to show the nature of Christ. There's a failure. I didn't do it, but I'll take responsibility. We'll do better next time, boss. I'll make sure it doesn't happen again. Serve others by taking responsibility and helping. Uh, and, and then, of course, in the church. This, what it means to be one who takes responsibility. And I'm still in Galatians 6. Let's go to verse 1. We looked at 3 to 5. We looked at verse 2. Now let's look at verse 1. Verse 1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. See, while you're carrying your own bag, you're bearing your own load, and you're walking forwards, the, the common and frequent reality in church is that young men or older men or whoever it is, anyone, the text says, when anyone is caught in sin, right? The, the battalion's marching forward on the path through the bush. Somebody's gone off track. Somebody's ditched their bag. Somebody's crept into the, into the house of the village that you're going through. They're doing the wrong thing. Some of them are, uh, are going through here and threatening villages. Some of them uh, are, are simply getting lost in the marshes. What? What's the responsible, mature soldier supposed to do at that point? He, bearing his own load still, goes and helps that brother to bring them back to the path and doesn't complain about, why do I have to look after my brothers? Why can't everybody else just be more responsible like I am? The mature brother, the one who is spiritual, is the one who is like a pastor to others who shepherds, who helps, who encourages, who brings back, who redeems. Proverbs will also tell us that he who wins a soul is wise. 
there's great reward for those who, who are seeking their lost brothers, who are walking in sin, ignoring righteous commandments and advice, and who are getting themselves in trouble, even uh, putting into ruinous harm the, their profession of the gospel. We as brothers need to, if we're, we claim to be sp- spiritual and mature and um, wise, we don't separate from them what filthy sinners. We come alongside them. We go into the house and bring them back. We go into the bog and drag them out. We go into the uh, places they've been lost and we lead them back, always being careful not to be caught in the sin that they have been. So where Cain and Abel were, were at odds with each other and Cain going out to the field with his brother, killed him. And he was asked later, where is Abel? And Cain cried out, what, am I my brother's keeper? You know, do I have to keep a watch for him? Isn't he supposed to look after himself? Am I responsible for my brother? Galatians 6.1 tells us, absolutely yes. You brothers are responsible for your brothers. You are the keepers of your brother's souls. Be diligent in it. Be diligent in it. We see that really this is the character of Jesus Christ who he did not, he was not at fault for sin. He did not cause sin in this world. He was not a sinner and yet he being God, he being perfect, took on human flesh and then took on human sin in order to take responsibility for his bride, the church. For all those that would ever look to Christ, believe in him by faith and be saved, we can do that because Jesus gave himself as a ransom. He took responsibility for us, took our sin away from us and died its penalty under the wrath of God. Ephesians 5 says this in telling men and husbands to love their wives. It says, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Not like Adam. Jesus didn't come in and point out the church and say, look at this whore, it's her fault. He came in and said, this is my bride. I will take responsibility for what she has done. So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives. You see, Jesus took responsibility for us. He is not ashamed to call us brothers, the book of Hebrews says. He has become one of us, coming down on his throne into the uh, filth and grime of this life, even to the point of imputing the sin from, uh, by by the Father's hand, imputing the sin of his people to himself, so that he might redeem us, bring us to glory. Let's be men who... After this video, in in your own private times and in your families and among the men of your family and home, uh, you confess to the Lord your own sins. You confess your irresponsibility and your failure to step up. Take responsibility for failures. Take responsibility for yourself and failures to take responsibility for others. We confess these things and we pray for the Lord by His Spirit to empower us and help us to do them from here on in. Love you guys, praying for you. I'll see you next week.